If you would, turn with me to John chapter 2. The title of my message is the same as it has been the last two messages in John. The old has gone, the new has come, but this is part three. Part one, the old is gone, the new has come, was about new wine. And then the last message I gave in John was the old has gone, the new has come, part two, about the new temple. And now this is the old is gone, the new has come, part three, new life. Yeah, what you see in John's gospel is this wonderful theme and, and he connects. Everything's connected. They're not just separate stories being told, but, but John is connecting all of his, his gospel together for us so that we could understand. So read with me starting in verse 23 of chapter 2 because Actually, 23 of chapter 2 is connected as we move into chapter 3. And I'm going to read um, from 23 all the way through to verse 21 of chapter 3. So read along with me. Just, and, and just by way of reminder, Jesus had just finished. He had just entered Jerusalem. He had just begun his ministry. He had come from Cana. He had been at the wedding. There had been a, a, a celebration, a wedding, and he had turned the water into wine. They had then moved on to Capernaum where along the seashore they spent a, a few days and then they took the, about a week-long journey from Capernaum to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jews throughout the, the region and literally in the, what is known as the ancient world then would actually make their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. So, so Jerusalem would explode in size. It would, it, would go, it, would, it would quadruple in size. So it's a busy time and, and Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. He goes in and this is his first trip to Jerusalem. He makes three Passover trips throughout this gospel, but this is the first. And when he gets there, he is appalled at what he sees, the money changers, the, the, the merchant selling animals in the temple, not outside the temple, in the temple, and he cleanses the temple. And then afterwards, the, the feast of the Passover is still going on. And that's where we begin in verse 23 of chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That word signs is important in John's gospel, and you will see that again and again. So many saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And the, there's one, one translation that says it best. It says that, that they believed in Jesus, but he did not believe in them. That their, their belief in him was predicated on signs, and nothing else. It was just signs. So they were wowed by signs. And that's why they believed in him. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Father, we come to you this morning. I pray for this church, my church, Father. I pray for my friends this morning that to a person they would be freshly aware of your presence in your word. And once again, they would be amazed by grace that Jesus came because you love the world so much. Lord, may the truth of the new birth affect us once again. And Lord, please help me to speak this morning. I desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. In John 20, 31, which was the very first message, it was the the, sort of the opening summation of the book, John gives his purpose for the gospel, for his writing of the gospel. He, He says, these things have been written, his gospel, my gospel has been written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John is an evangelist. His writing of this gospel is to tell the gospel story, to 
to bring you and me to a place that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And from chapter 1 through chapter 21, the end of John's Gospel, John gives us example after example of what this believing looks like in the lives of many characters in the stories he tells us. Time and time again, he uses events and he uses people that we read about to help us connect the dots of this theme that we must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, so that by believing we might have life in his name, that we might understand who Jesus is, what he has done, and what it means to us. The stories we read and and the people we encounter are all tied to that theme, and they, they help us time and time again as we see repeated uses of, of, of metaphors and, and examples and symbols throughout John. John wants to connect all the dots. And as we read through John, as, as you look back in chapter 1, the same kinds of things John is saying in chapter 1, he repeats just in a different way in chapter 2. So in, in verse 1-4, he says, you know, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And now in 319, we read, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And as you read through John, this this idea of light and darkness is going to repeat itself over and over again to help us understand that we were in darkness. And Jesus, who is the light of the world, came to expose the deeds of darkness, but also to give us light to see him and know who he is, that we might move from darkness into light. That theme just repeats itself in John. Repeated truths about salvation and what it means to believe. And in John 1.12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will, will of the flesh nor of the will of man but born of God and now in 316 he tells us again for and th- in 33 he tells us I truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven so again you see this this theme repeated and repeated truths about his crucifixion repeated truths uh, in in 151 and 313 about about Jesus in heaven and these are only just a few connections we see in his gospel. Every time we read a passage in John's gospel, if you do your work, if you do your work, you will see same truths told in similar and in different ways again and again. But it's all designed to help you come to faith and believe in Jesus that you might find life in his name. And this encounter with Nicodemus is just another experience that we're going to find the same truths repeated again. It takes place shortly after the cleansing of the temple. And if you remember um, it, this, this idea of signs, remember when Jesus cleansed the temple and the authorities came to him and said, by, by what signs do you show us that you can do this? In other words, prove to us through signs that you have the authority to do this. And now Nicodemus, you know, he is, he, he's coming and, he, and, um, and Jesus in verse 23 you know, when, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. But when they saw the signs he was doing, they saw signs. And Nicodemus comes to him 
In verse 1 of chapter 3, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now understand, Nicodemus is John's explanation of verses 23 and 24. Verses 23 and 24 of chapter 2, Jesus, John is writing, Jesus knew all men, and they were believing because of signs that they saw. But Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. And then John expands that by giving us a story about a man who saw signs and comes to Jesus. And that's who Nicodemus is. He's one of those who John says Jesus knew his heart. And that he was, he was drawn in by the signs that he saw. He saw these signs and he was looking at Jesus similar to the authorities in the temple. And he's basically saying, who are you? Jesus, who are you? You do these signs, but, but who are you? He could not figure out who Jesus is. Now, at, the time, at this time in Jerusalem, there are two rival groups of Jewish leaders. There's the Sadducees and there's the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the keepers of the temple. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were the ones who, who challenged Jesus about marriage and divorce. And they were the ones who, who came to Jesus when he cleansed the temple, questioning him. Because they were keepers of the temple. Now the Pharisees, a separate group, did not care much about the temple. And most likely they were happy Jesus was going around busting things up and, and, and watching the Sadducees get it. That, that was because they were rival, they were rival groups. They, they strongly disliked one another. They strongly disagreed with one another. The Pharisees were the keepers and teachers of the law. That's who Nicodemus was. And although they were a minority group in, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, they were a powerful group because they, were, they weren't made up of the wealthy class like the Sadducees. They were made up of like the middle class. And so a lot of people identified with them. And it is this man, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, a part of that group, who comes to Jesus one evening. And he's an older man. He is a man who is well-respected. He's a man who is a ruler, part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling group of the Pharisees. And not only that, Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. So he is an, a respected man. And this passage, this section of scripture is about his, this encounter and, and what it means, what it means to come to know Christ. What it means to, to be introduced to Jesus Christ and what he does. Our, our salvation is a work of God's supernatural power, motivated by his love and confirmed by the evidence of a transformed life. That is, that is what this, this passage is going to show us this morning. That our salvation is a work of God's supernatural power. Motivated by his love and confirmed by evidence of a transformed life. So my main points this morning, the, it, based on the central theme of, the, uh, of, this, of this passage, which is this. How do we enter the kingdom of heaven? How do we enter God's kingdom? That's what, that's what John is showing us here. 
how do you enter God's kingdom? And if you are in God's kingdom, what does that mean? So how do we enter God's kingdom? Well, John gives us two, two points, two, two ways that how we enter the kingdom of God. We enter the kingdom of God through God's supernatural power. That's number one. We enter the kingdom of heaven through God's supernatural power. That's what we see in this passage. And secondly, we enter the kingdom of God because of God's unfathomable love. We enter through supernatural power and we enter because of his love. Let's look at the first point. We enter through his supernatural power. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3, there, John is wonderful about double meanings. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Now, there, is, there are a number of reasons we can surmise why Nicodemus came at night. One is he is a Pharisee. He is a part of the ruling class there. He is he's well known and it might not look good for Nicodemus to be hanging out with Jesus. And so he comes by night. Or another reason could be, I mean, the days were busy. Jesus is about messing up temples and Nicodemus has his own responsibilities. And so just it was a time where he could have some undistracted conversation with Jesus. Those are two plausible reasons why. But what, what we do know is that he came at night. And, and in John's writings, as you read through, one of, the, one of the things he uses here is this symbolism. And Nicodemus coming at night really does express the idea of Nicodemus living in spiritual darkness. Nicodemus living in spiritual darkness. He is, he is spiritually blind, which is a constant theme in John's gospel. Nicodemus lived in darkness because his spiritual life was radically wrong. He was a Pharisee. He was a man who believed religious duty and actions justified him before God. He believed he had a right standing before God because of the things he did. And he felt justified. But this coming at night really revealed something different. His religious life might have been and probably was very impressive. If anyone was going to heaven, it would be a guy like Nicodemus. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't, he doesn't let Nicodemus talk about signs. Jesus, Jesus gets right to the heart of the problem. Je- Nicodemus is saying, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And, and Jesus just totally doesn't even respond to Nicodemus' comment. He doesn't take the bait about signs. He just says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And really what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he just, he just takes over the conversation. He says, Nicodemus, your life of religious living means nothing in God's kingdom. Nicodemus, what you are trying to achieve cannot happen by what you do. It can only happen supernaturally. It can only happen by God. And that is confusing to Nicodemus. 
for someone to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you must be born again. And that phrase in the Greek, born again, literally means born from above. And so, so Nicodemus would understand that. He would understand, I must be born from above. I've lived this religious life. What are you saying to me? I can just see the wheels turning in Nicodemus' head. Huh? What? There's an illustration. One day, this woman writes, One day we were in the car and my four-year-old overheard me telling my husband that the Salvation Army was coming tomorrow to pick up our couch. My son asked, Who is coming tomorrow? I said, The Salvation Army. And he asked, Who are they? Not thinking how the words Salvation Army sounded to a small child, I simply said they were coming to get our couch because we didn't want it anymore. He was quiet for a few moments and then in a timid voice said, Will they have guns? <laughs> Nicodemus was just as confused as this little boy. He didn't get the born again comment. But Jesus is patient and his answer is meant to be helpful and instructive. Although he does chide Nicodemus a little bit. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Jesus is talking on a spiritual plane. Nicodemus is thinking on a literal plane. And it just is an impossibility. It makes no sense. And, and Jesus responds, truly, truly. This is the second time he said that. Truly, truly. It is an attention getter. It is a, a, it is a Nicodemus. You didn't get it the first time. Let me give it to you a second time. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to explain that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He, he's, he's, he sees the confusion in Nicodemus's face. He, he even chides him a bit later. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't get this? Why don't you understand? He's trying, and, and why he says that is because he is, when he talks about being born of water and of the Spirit, he's helping Nicodemus by referring to Old Testament truth. See, this, this idea of what is Jesus saying here about being born of water and of the Spirit? Is he talking about water baptism? No, he's not talking about water baptism. Actually, in Ezekiel, Nicodemus is, is being taught the Old Testament. As an Old Testament teacher, he's being taught the Old Testament by Jesus. He's being reminded of the truth of the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 25 and 20. Through 27, here's what Jesus is referring to. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your (coughs) uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When he, Jesus is speaking of being born of water and spirit, he's helping Nicodemus saying, listen, Old Testament Nicodemus, here's what was promised in in the prophet Ezekiel, that I'm going to cleanse you. And I'm going to give you a new heart. 
That's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to live for God. It's not the things you do, but you've got to be born again. There's got to be a work of God in your heart. And that work is the work that I promised centuries ago through my prophet Ezekiel. Oh, Nicodemus, don't you remember Ezekiel? Nicodemus, you teach about Ezekiel. You proclaim these words. Now understand what they mean. And although he still doesn't quite see it, the wheels are beginning to turn in Nicodemus' mind. I think we can often think poorly of the Pharisees as though they were just all hypocrites. But that's not really true. They were men just like us. They were people who, who were and some did have a very honorable desire to serve God. And I think Nicodemus might have been one of those. He had a noble hope for a Messiah. The Pharisees were hoping for the Messiah. Nicodemus coming was his way of communicating. Uh, you know, I, I do have a hope for, for the Messiah. Are, are you him? You do these signs. Is that you? Is, is that you, Jesus? And Jesus patiently takes him through the scripture. He just didn't get that Jesus was the Messiah yet. And he didn't understand that Jesus is the word become flesh, the incarnate God, the one who descended from heaven that Jesus talks about here. And he didn't quite get this idea of the spirit, the wind blowing. And, and what, what Jesus is, is teaching Nicodemus here is, look, it's not based on the things that you do that allow you to enter the kingdom of God. It's the work of God. It starts with God. It's all about God. That's, that's what we see. And in verses 9 through 13, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? What is this about being born of water and spirit? What is this about being born again? And, and twice Jesus says, you know, one is born again in verse 3. And then again in verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. And then in verse 9, Nicodemus says, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He is... He is not quite getting it, but now Jesus starts talking to him about something very, very important. And he look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Okay, Nicodemus, this is the incarnation. Someone descended from heaven. Who is that? Nicodemus, that's me. And then he goes on to say this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I, I love that portion right there. Why? Because Nicodemus was looking for a sign. He was, he was trying to figure out the signs. 
And Jesus gives him a sign. And that sign is this. My crucifixion, but not just the crucifixion, but also his resurrection, his exaltation. Because when he talks about being lifted up, it's not just lifted up on the cross. It's also referring to, that's where John has double meanings. It's also lifted up in the resurrection. And he, he relates, and it's, again, he helps Nicodemus. He goes back to the Old Testament. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, you remember that story of Moses lifting up the serpent. You remember that story where the people of God were whining and complaining and they were complaining against God and God in his judgment rightly sends this this horde of snakes among the people. And all these snakes, they're poisonous, venomous snakes. They're biting people. People are dying. They're dying by the thousands. And they go to Moses and they plead with Moses, please, Moses, please, you know, forgive us. You're God's mediator between us and God. Please forgive us. Go to God. And God kindly, compassionately delivers them, redeems them in divine deliverance. He has Moses take a bronze snake and he lifts it up. And everyone who looks to that snake is spared death. Everyone who looks to that snake receives life. And Jesus takes Nicodemus, just as he did the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he takes Nicodemus through the Bible. He says, look, in Ezekiel, here's what it means to be born of water and of the Spirit. God does a supernatural work in your heart and you have a new heart. Here's what it means. Here's a sign that you will know who I am and what needs to happen. You're going to look to the cross, but not just the cross. You're going to look to the resurrection. You're going to see that God lives. That's Nicodemus's experience. He's going to experience divine grace. By looking to Christ. Now, Nicodemus, we hear a little bit about him later on. And I, I, I think he experienced the transforming power of God in his life. In John 7.50, he argues actually on Jesus' behalf to the other Pharisees, to the Sanhedrin, to not take action against him. And then in John 19.39, he, along with Joseph of Arimathea, takes Jesus and puts him in the tomb. Something happened in Nicodemus' life. But Nicodemus really isn't the focus of the story here. See, the focus of the story here is John 3.16. So yeah, you want to be in the kingdom of God? This story is about God. This story is about the God who supernaturally changes lives. It's a story about the God who was lifted up, who died on the cross, and then who rose again and ascended into heaven. It's the story about the supernatural power of God to transform a human life. Nicodemus, you want to see the kingdom of God? You've got to be transformed by God. Nicodemus, you want to know why? It's because God loves you. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Notice how it is right after the lifting up that the Son of Man must be lifted up and whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And then it goes on, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now some believe the narration here actually changes and it's not Jesus speaking, it's John. You have different commentators But that's not all that important, really. What's important is this narration is about new birth, eternal life, Christ being lifted up, all grounded in one truth. Love. The love of God. You're sitting here today because of the love of God. You're alive today because of the love of God. Spiritually alive. You will experience the kingdom of God. Because God so loved the world. We enter the kingdom of God because of his unfathomable love. We enter the kingdom of God by his supernatural power, but we enter the kingdom of God because of his unfathomable love. John, 1 John 4.16, God is love. Bruce Milne states of this verse, he says, John 3.16 is a masterly and moving summary of the gospel, cast in terms of the love of God. These words are stunning. And if you are not stunned by these words, for God so loved the world, if you're not stunned by these words, you need a refresher course in salvation. These are undoubtedly the most famous words from the Bible in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if that still does not amaze you and stun you. You need a refresher course in salvation. God loved, God loves a hate-filled, rebellious human population who arrogantly rejects his ways and his love. And it's to these very people that God sends his only son to suffer and die that they might be reconciled to God. That he would become the word made flesh. Love is behind it all. His incarnation, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise to return, being born again, his supernatural power, making it all happen. But love is why it happens. When you go through a trial in this life, do you feel loved by God? Many, many years ago when Marilyn and I lived in Fairfax, Virginia, we had an apartment that was on the third floor and we had a balcony. And one morning, we, we, 4.30 in the morning, we were awakened by this. And I run out and I run outside and I look outside the balcony and I open the door and it was an old door that stuck so it would make a noise and as I did I saw this bird fly away 
I thought, I, I assumed it was a woodpecker. Now, why a woodpecker would be pecking on an aluminum gutter, I haven't figured out yet. He's an aluminum woodpecker. And, <laughs> and so, okay, that was, so the next morning, 4.30, pap, 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 pap. So I go out there again, the door opens, he hears it, flies away. Three weeks. I was convinced after three weeks, God no longer loved me. (laughs) This woodpecker was changing my life and my view of God. And trials can do that. We can sense, in some way, feel. We question, does God love me? Because of my infirmity? Does God love me because of my financial difficulty? Does God love me because of my relational challenges? Where is God? And, and it goes on. This was only three weeks. I, opened it, I let the door open one night. And I had a nine iron waiting by the door. <laughs> and I've always hit my nine iron pretty well. And he's banging out that one morning. And I went and took my nine iron and went, bam, into the gutter. And that bird flew off. He, ne- he didn't come back. <laughs> Until we were in Atlanta. <laughs> and one morning, five o'clock in the morning, on my chimney. So I did what the southern, the southern thing to do is. I borrowed my neighbor's shotgun. And no more. That's what Southerners do. Do you understand the love of God? We can grow cold towards the love of God. We can grow distant because of the love, because we don't sense God's love. John 3.16 is a stunning verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's promise in this verse is that if we believe, we won't perish. If we believe, we won't be condemned. If we believe, we will have eternal life with God. Eternal life begins at our conversion, not at our physical death. We experience something of eternal life now, although we don't experience the fullness of eternal life. It it is a bit of a shadow. We're not going to experience the new heaven and the new earth. We're not experiencing a life without sin and without pain. We're not experiencing the ability to see God face to face right now, which we will when we die and we are in heaven. But we do experience something of eternal life because of the love of God. We are given new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all old things have passed away. The new has come. We have God's presence with us in the Holy Spirit. We have power over sin right now. John 10.10 says that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. We do have abundant life right now. God's love has set all these things in motion. God's love should affect you today. 
Verse 18 tells us, again, it reminds us, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only Son. Here we have John 20, 31 being repeated in a different way. And then John, again, moves into the light and darkness. And this is the judgment. In other words, if you don't believe, if you don't believe in God, if you haven't been changed by his supernatural power and believe in his love, and this is the judgment, the lights come into the world and people love the darkness. They loved darkness. They just didn't live in darkness. They loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's that light and darkness theme again. Sin always leads the sinner to hide himself from God. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God. That's what sin does. It it sends us to darkness. We love the darkness. We run to the darkness. We hide from God. But when God's love invades, when his power invades, we now move from darkness to light. God has supernaturally done a work in your lives. You were dead in your sin. And God made you alive. He regenerated you. He made you alive. What does this passage have to do with us today? Well, if you're not a Christian, this passage challenges you to believe so that you won't be condemned by your sin. It confronts you with the truth of missing out on eternal life instead of perishing. If you have not fully put your faith and trust in Christ, John 3.16 tells us this, says that whoever believes in him should not perish. Well, if you don't believe in him, you will perish and you will not have eternal life in God. You will be condemned that he says right here, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Let me encourage you, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you have not come to faith in him, you are condemned and you will perish. And the response that you should have is to believe the good news. And the good news is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The question is, will you continue to hide in darkness or will you look to Jesus Christ? Will you put your faith in him and come and have eternal life? Would you enter the kingdom of God? That's for those of you who may not believe this morning. Now, if you do believe, I think there are two questions you can ask yourself this morning. The first one is, is, as those who are born again, are you showing evidence of a life transformed by Jesus Christ? You see, Nicodemus showed the evidence of a life transformed by Jesus Christ. He began to be a supporter of Jesus. He was there at Jesus' death and his burial. And he was most likely there and an eyewitness of the resurrection. 
John writes that many believed, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because of what was really in their hearts. A genuine faith, brothers and sisters, is evidenced by genuine transformation, genuine trust, and a genuine growth in living for and loving God. Are you showing the evidence of a life transformed by Jesus Christ? That's the first question. The second, this. Are you telling others of your transformed life? Notice how forthright Jesus is in this gospel with Nicodemus. He doesn't make it easy for Nicodemus to swallow these truths, but he tells them the truth. He doesn't let the culture frame his gospel presentation. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't make it palatable. He tells them the truth. If you don't live for God, you will die. You will perish. You are condemned. Try doing that at a local mall today. And you will be looked at as not only strange, but now you'll be accused of bigotry and hatred and intolerance. It takes courage to be gospel tellers. Jesus' presentation to Nicodemus is you cannot save yourself. I must die for your sins. They're that bad. You will perish. You will be condemned. That must be our gospel presentation. That's my, that, that are the, those are the words that we must tell those that we are reaching out to. Now, it, you don't go over to your neighbor for the very first time, knock on the door and say, Hi, my name is Larry. You're going to perish. How about just, would you like to come for dinner? You'll get to perishing later. (laughs) But get there you must. This, This is an example of what it means to be a teller of the gospel, a storyteller of the gospel. What is what is your gospel presentation like? Does it does fear define how you present the gospel? Does the culture invade your words? We can learn much from how Jesus gives us an example. But at the root of our, and at the heart of our gospel presentation are two things. The two points that we trust that it is God's power that changes people's lives. It is God's power who transforms them. And we, we believe it is God's love being displayed through us that impacts their lives as well. There's a lot to this passage. But what, but what we know is this. For God so loved the world. You. And you. And you. That if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. Father, we... We want to be amazed again by love. We want to be amazed again by what you have done. Lord, please help us to see clearly and to be impacted, to be stunned. To be stunned by your love. Lord, to be freshly aware and grateful for 
your love and for your son's willingness to become the word made flesh and to be tortured, to suffer, to die, that we might enter the kingdom of God. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, would you please open their eyes? May they come from darkness to light. In Jesus' name, amen.